Welcome to Association Rockstars. We're here about the journey and insights of amazing association executives and partners who are building the association industry of tomorrow. I'm your host, Lowell Applebaum, CEO of Vistacova, where we partner with organizations on facilitation, vision, strategy, and leadership development. And it's my pleasure to have with me today, Ronika Scott, MSC CAE. Ronika is the Chief Membership and Diversity Programs Officer at the Endocrine Society, and she has over 15 years of diverse association leadership experience in and around strategic operations, business development, member engagement, component support, value creation, program innovation, implementation, partnership building, communications, marketing, and DEIR. You should see the size of her business card. She has been honored in the field of association management by being awarded the 2022 to 24 Diversity Executive Leadership Program, as well as being a recipient of the Association Forum's 2022 40 Under 40 Association Leaders in the Association Industry. Nika, I'm so happy to have you with us today. Well, thank you all. Thank you for the invite. Uh, so often I've looked at the series and I've said, wow, the folks that you are actually interviewing are mentors to me in the field or rock stars in my own space. So really excited for this opportunity. Thank you. Well, I will say the uh, social media feedback to you being uh, interviewed today is that it seems that you are a rock star in the field as well. So we're so happy to have you today. Uh, and I'm going to get into our opening question, but I just have to say in terms of the diversity of experience you've had, you know, we so often talk about how a title of someone in our field never really says what they do. And just that list of like disciplines of association management, I feel like you are a walking CAE between all the domains that you covered in your experience. So we'll get into that in a moment. I want to ask more about it. But we'd like to start first, of course, with, you know, to have this conversation, someone nominated you because you've demonstrated great strength in your career, in your profession, in your personal journey. And so just as you reflect on that journey, where have you found for yourself that you have that strength? Like what are what is a superpower that you have that you bring to the table uh, that you think helps you excel? So this is a very interesting question that actually even led into a conversation I had earlier today. Mm. My team knows me and actually every team that I have had to partner with or coach has known me as realistic Rod. I am the person that will address the elephants in the room. I am the person who is really interested in charging forward with new ideas, but like to bring an air of what can we realistically achieve in a general time frame. So realistic rod is where I feel like most resonates with me. However, one of my uh, current direct reports said that she wants to change it to rockstar rod because we're gonna do whatever on our list in rockstar fashion. So uh, somewhere between realistic rod and rockstar rod. Well, I like the quality and the logic of the process of realistic and then the, the qualitative nature of the rockstar, like what's, what's that gonna be like? That's great. Yes. So in terms of, you know, it sounds like speaking truth, right? Like in terms of what you see and like being willing to address those things. Uh, how do you do that and balance, if you will, sort of diverse personalities we always have, whether it's with staff or leadership or with membership, when you're bringing that strength to the fore, right? How do you balance the sort of the EQ side of that? So that phenomenal question. It is not something that I always had in my repertoire of being able to do. But it does take really realizing that you are in that space for a reason, that you are, you have valuable insights 
to add to any conversation and preparation. So as I'm going into a room to speak to whether it's our CEO or one of our board chairs, go preparing, getting to know them and getting to know them as people before thinking about the work actually makes it a bit easier. And when you're addressing elephants in the room, they understand that you are not coming to them with either just a problem or you know just the concern, but it's like, let's make sure that we see everything that's going on in this space. Also with addressing either elephants in the room, getting some of those people who are not as vocal to speak out. If you notice some certain voices being quieted or just not having an opportunity to engage, uh, figuring out ways, while, whether that's in meetings or pre or post meeting to uh, get their opinions heard. And that's my strength. I have two or three follow-ups that this is great. Okay, I'm going to go with the last thing and I'll work my way back. Do you have any, uh, I know it's on the spot, do you have any example or methodology as you think about those that, whether it's because they're more introverted and reflect first, you know, or just because it's role or title, but those that don't share as easily vocally or first, how do you approach sort of opening the space so that their voice can be present? Like, do you have any intentional methodology to that? So yes, I, I I don't know if you would consider it methodology, but <laughs> we, we, we can make it we can make it a little fast and loose. That's okay. But I will give you an example of a recent uh, uh, project that I was working on with uh, within the Endocrine Society. Uh, we have special interest groups that are being reimagined. We combined a core team of roughly fourteen or fifteen individuals, so you have varying personalities, varying learning styles that are on board and varying interest as well. So trying to figure out how can we make sure everyone feels heard. We did the typical email meetings that were in place, but we also implemented an opportunity for individuals to evaluate. How did you think the meeting went? Where are our gaps? And that gives people time to sit back after a conversation and provide feedback. We also implemented a space where we could have one-to-one -one meetings where mm -hmm. others felt more comfortable engaging. And we took some of those bullet points and reoccurring themes and brought them up in our subsequent meetings and uh, gave individuals the wherewithal to know that we might be calling on you to share a bit more of your insights. So giving them time to prepare yeah. and asking if it was okay. It seems really simple to do this, but sometimes when you're in such a large group and having these conversations, the loudest voices get heard yeah. And if you have a slightly quirky opinion, which could be the opinion that takes us from just realistic to rock stars in that space, we miss those opinions. And so really trying to figure out a variety of ways in which people can give feedback is what I found to be successful. I love the intentionality and complexity of that design as it speaks to like multiple people's personalities and learning styles. You know, you mentioned before that this approach uh, is something that like you learned. I mean, you said you developed it. How, how did you learn to be this, this inclusive voice, but also the realistic voice like of elephant spotting and calling, if you will? Well, the first thing that I would say is my, both my mom and dad always say that you cannot just sit there and complain about a situation. You have to be able to do something uh, and, and speak to improving the situation. Uh, early in my career, it felt very uncomfortable and a mentor actually gave me this tip. He said, you're a very open person, you're a very smiley person, but when you have to say something that's challenging, 
why don't you take one of your arms, reach out and actually put it across your waist and take a deep breath in and say whatever's on your mind. We know that you're saying it with truth and we know that you always have a spirit of love, but that will give you that extra level of comfort and support to find your voice mm -hmm. and to use your voice. And after doing that a number of times in a number of years, I, I don't necessarily need that tactic anymore, but that was something that was pivotal for me. Uh, as far as being able to encourage others, I think that starts along the way. It starts whether you're having a one-to-one -one team meeting. It starts if you catch someone in the hallway and just ask them, hey, we had a meeting. I didn't get a chance to hear your thoughts. What do you think about that? And just opening yeah. up that dialogue. Do you find, uh, we were talking earlier about like days in the office and not, do you find this uh, more of a hybrid moment in time in terms of catching people in the hallway, right? Like how have you, have you, I completely agree. And how do you adapt that methodology to a more hybrid or virtual workforce? Okay, so fantastic question. And again, this is another space where you can probably just see on my face the love I have for my team. Our goal is to always be authentic, even if authentic is weird, completely yes. weird in that space. So open door policy, you can <laughs> teams me at any time and we'll figure out a solution. We'll figure out a time to meet and time to connect. And that's not just something that I have for me, but that's across our entire team, that <laughs> the open door, a real open door policy. Throughout the day, when we are in the virtual space, and even when we're in the office, we communicate sometimes in GIF images. They're like we are sending messages on Teams and it keeps it light. We don't have to take ourselves so seriously, yet yeah. we're still able to get the job done. And what we found is even from the people who are a bit more reserved, after a while you start pulling them in and you know they feel that they have a space and time. And again, the goal is to be authentically you, whether that's quiet, Yes. Or whether you're the absolute life of the party and just knowing that this is a space where your ideas are heard. Can you tell us a little bit about how you sort of first found and got started in the association profession? Like where, where did that first opportunity come from? Did you, how early on did you know this was not just a job, but a career? So that was a real story. Like many of you, I fell into associations. It was so accidental. I don't even think I realized I was applying for an association. I just thought that the role and job was cool. Yeah. Uh, after college, I actually worked as a history and English teacher in Prince George's County schools. I transitioned from there to teachers of English to speakers of other languages. Once I had an opportunity to see that I could continue to instruct as well as have an opportunity to engage with at their organization up to you know nearly 100,000 individuals who were growing their careers, I could see that the impact of associations was tremendous and I could make an impact in the work that I did every day. Now, I moved on to a managerial position and one of the challenges with associations that I had is that they move a little slow, a little <laughs> slow for my taste at times. And I had a phenomenal opportunity to work at Higher Logic. I wow. worked there for a little over two years as a project manager. And being with the software startup, you yeah. are moving and shaking. But I love that. And yet at the same time, I worked with over 100 associations from 
everything from snowboarding to uh, neurologists in the yeah. space. And what I realized is I do love working with them, but I miss being one of them. And that was my first aha moment that I needed to get back into associations. And maybe there were ways that I could make the processes move a little faster. You still have a lot of orange left from your biologic <laughs> days? Yes. Once you have the orange, you, you always have the orange. The orange. I, I love the path of discovery, right? It just wasn't direct. It was both working as a service side across organizations and then yes. wanting to be back inside an organization uh, along that journey have you found mentors along the way that have been pivotal on those key decision moments and how I mean you can name them if you like but like how have they helped you so have I found mentors yes and as we were speaking earlier the association community it's a rather large and small community at the same okay. time uh, when I was working at Higher Logic, I met a phenomenal person, Courtney Neal, who we started on the same day. We were project managers. And when I decided to leave and transition back into the association world, she was pivotal at just, you know, that comforting that you are making a good decision, a right decision. And I ended up working with her past supervisor. Florence Freeman. And Florence Freeman, uh, as far as phenomenal professionals, as far as inspiring, as far as pushing you to your limits without breaking you, she yeah. was instrumental in, I would say, my early to mid-career range. And I'm eternally grateful for all that she poured into my life uh, there. As I think a little bit further uh, along the pathway, uh, some of the alumni from DELP, whether we're thinking um, Mariama Booning, uh, again, great mentor, a great coach, a person to bounce ideas off of along the way. And I could actually go on with the DELP co cohort in general, because they've, even before I was a part of DELP, I always felt like I was embraced and I could reach out and ask a question. And even if the question was an odd question, it's right. asking and feel confident in the answer. Do you feel like in terms of the journey you've taken, uh, Delp clearly is one. Uh, have you found any others or do you wanna speak about that in terms of the importance of community in our space on your journey? So one of the things that I've realized over the last few years and especially after the pandemic is that we are all connected, the work that we do is all connected. I'm currently at the Endocrine Society. In my past lives, I've also coached uh, teams, basketball teams on the side. Uh, right after the pandemic, I was coaching six kids teams, ages six through 14. And what I found was that- I have two 10 year olds and a 12 year old. I'm happy to send your way. Send them along, send them along. <laughs> So one thing that I learned is that I was happy to be a part in my own community of rebuilding that sense of belonging and connection, both with kids and with parents through that opportunity. But two of my kids had suffered from diabetes. Well, with me working in endocrinology and being in that space, I was able to share resources that were available to patients and parents and even uh, additional resources related to uh, searching for 
physicians with that particular expertise to help them. And when I think about associations, the work that we do, it does impact the everyday person's lives. And that was a core opportunity where there were a few resources and tools that those individuals were able to use that allowed them to continue to participate in the sport that they yeah. enjoyed, but also gave their parents a bit of relief and reduced some of the fear in that space. So uh, that's one small example of how associations make an impact, but yeah. it's very profound to me. No, it's a powerful one. As you think about the direction associations are headed uh, at this time of heading into the mid-2020s, those that are listening and looking to pursue paths of leadership, what do you think are some of the most important qualities of successful association leaders such as yourself right now? So important qualities, I think that some of the most important qualities are actually being an empathetic leader. We have to understand, and I know it's Oftentimes it can be cliche to even say that, but we do understand that people in this particular generation have gone through so many things that 10 years ago would not have been fathomable. Yeah. As we look back towards the pipeline, being able to teach some of those, let's say social and, and critical thinking skills that just we all kind of let go to the side because we were just in survival mode for mm -hmm. about two years, both literally and figuratively. Also, just again, when you are able to see an authentic leader and someone just being themselves and, you know, I always say, is this Renika with my work hat on or just Renika in this space? If you can just be Renika, then your teams will open up to you and you will learn a lot more from them in spaces that you might've had your blinders on. So again, just being authentic all around. Also keeping up with this pace. We okay. always say that the pace of technology and change is forever moving. And uh, we joke that associations are behind. I do believe associations are closing that gap now. Yeah. Because we have to. And- I'm not sure they're too, I think they're, in some cases they're being forced to, but I agree. Right. right like. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And being able to nurture nimbleness in a team yes. is going to be very important in the future. I can at least see that for the next few years. Of course, we can talk about AI, but you know, enough people are doing that already. Uh, I can tell you the story I heard yesterday of the professor that actually gave the homework assignment to her class to use AI to write their essay, right? <laughs> and then edit it. Uh, but I want to instead ask about something you just said, because you said it. How do you nurture nimbleness in your team? We have a phrase, and I'm sure many of you have heard it, fail fast. We need to pick up, you know, with the team, we need to pick up our pace and to be able to try new things. So there are lots of good ideas out there. We can, we can't pick them all. Pick your top three. And if it's something that we can do an A-B test on, it's okay to fail because sometimes in your failure, that's where you learn the most. Yes. So our goal on our team is to fail fast so that we can move on to uh, the next project. And failing fast may not mean that you fail in general. It may, it may mean that you have an overwhelming success and now we can expand this across the organization because we have proof of concept. So uh, being able to give people the space to innovate and the space to potentially 
have something that doesn't work out. Yeah. We're getting near the end of time, but I have to ask the, based on that, just a follow-up question. Uh, I feel like so many times we aspire to that which is recognized. Yes. Uh, and so have you seen either within your own team, within endocrine, within your history, any examples of meaningful recognition given in a positive way when someone has failed fast? Yes. So <laughs> we actually, it was early in my career was the best example. And it because it directly related to me is why I would share it. I was working on an early career. It was a, a brand new program for early career members in our organization. That program, we had to bring in speakers and I had the bandwidth to bring in speakers, create a, a phenomenal half day symposia. And yet I had not really thought about after the symposia, now what? Because I didn't, I thought it was just gonna be moderately, it's uh, moderately a great program, but not something that people were craving. Yeah. So when it came down to failing fast with this, uh, of course the front end was a success, but the back end was how do we build out a year worth of programming for this. And some of it was guesswork. Yeah. Others was, hey, reaching back, figuring out what did the members say we, they wanted. There were some things at that time they did not want social. I thought they wanted social. We were in two very demogra different demographic categories. So that was something that was not a success. But the things that were, were the in-person meetings, were the funding for uh, additional receptions, and was also the credentialing pieces that we added into that experience. So again, being able to try enough new things out, say, hey, this works, this doesn't, and based off of what didn't work, what did we learn from that? I love that. I have to say that the gamut of leadership insights and qualities that you bring to the table uh, from speaking the truth and recognizing the elephant to uh, inspiring, being authentic, even if it's, uh, I can't remember, it wasn't word, uh, an authentic self, even if it goes into the realm of the dorky or the fun and bringing others out, creating space for voices that maybe quieter voices, but making sure they're present as well. I uh, can hear a lot of qualities about why you're a rock star. Let me just ask this closing question, uh, which is far, far in the future, uh, when we get closer to the end of your time working in the association space, what do you hope the legacy will be that you leave behind? I hope that I will leave behind a legacy of mentoring. Uh, although I've mentioned some mentors over the course of my career, if I just had access to people who were at that next stage and that next step, I can't imagine where I would be right now in my career. And I want to be that for others yes. taking on that mantle. I also want to leave a legacy of really just empowering people around me. It's great that, you know, I have an opportunity to lead, but every person around me, I want to make sure that I provide opportunities for them to grow, develop, lead, and uh, become sounder professionals in their space. So really a legacy of giving back is what I want. I love that. Well, I look forward to seeing all the ways that you continue to make impact across your journey. It's really been a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you as always to Amy Hager, who's there chatting with you all in the 
side chats of uh, all of our social media platforms and to everyone who's tuned in and continues to tune in uh, for making this a collective community where we recognize not just the voices of leaders, but those aspiring to lead as well. Until next time, Association Rock On. Thank you.